couple weeks ago, I started a word that we focus on. I mean, we pick a word every year, and I picked the word develop to focus for 2018. Because what we want to do is, is see how we can develop ourselves and develop our church. If you remember, there's two things I said you need to do with this idea of develop. Number one, put yourself in a place of developing. Church is supposed to be that. A place where you can be developed in your relationship with God, in your relationship with others. Secondly, put yourself in a place where you can disciple or you can develop others because that's what discipleship is all about. We're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples, right? The Great Commission in the New Testament. Well, that means putting yourself in a place where you can develop somebody else. And especially as we think of teenagers, which we're focusing on today, that becomes very significant. I'd like you to bow with me in prayer before we even get started. Dear God, we come before you today, and we ask that you would help us understand our own development process. For those who are young, for those who are old, we all need to be developed, and we need to keep developing and even looking to develop others. And I pray today you'll help us do that. Please teach us. Please give us instruction as we look at the Word, as we have other guys out here to speak with us from the youth ministry. Give us insight and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, when you're a teenager or you're, you know, let's say, like in our church, it'd be like 11 years old all the way up to 18 or 19. There are, are two words, or two questions, I should say, that bounce around in your brain. Even if, if you're not aware of these particular questions, it's the same concepts. The first question is this, who am I? And then the second question is, well, what am I going to do about it? Who am I and what am I going to do about it? Now, in the process of trying to put that together in our mind, what often happens is we try and seek out relationships to understand the question, to answer the question, who am I? And we try and put these relationships in, in our life is we're just beginning to develop into those relationships and realizing our life is about relationships when we're in, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, right in, in that period of time, trying to figure that out. And sometimes in trying to develop relationships to figure out who we are, it becomes highly destructive. I mean, the list is long, right? Of things like, I wrote down a list here of like, uh, you know, belonging to things and will join things like uh, groups or clubs or maybe even gangs to try and figure out who we are or joining a team. We're asking ourselves, well, am I a jock or am I a nerd or am I, remember, am I cool, am I not? Well, sometimes this becomes destructive. Ends up with drug abuse, alcoholism, promiscuity, the op opioid epidemic, which we've heard about. And in fact, we just had a funeral this last weekend for somebody that overdosed. Sexual assaults and uh, abortions and suicides even. It becomes highly destructive sometimes as we're trying to figure out just the basic question of, well, who am I? And what should I do about it? Sometimes we take wrong paths, go the wrong direction. Sometimes we can be guided by a church, by a church youth group, to go in the right direction, to face the elephant in the room, the 800-pound gorilla. We're going to need some help. You know, I, I put down in my outline here that um, we develop through relationships, and that relationship that's most important is our relationship with God. I believe a relationship with God, and we believe in this church that a relationship with God really is the beginning of understanding who you are and what you should do about it. You know, as a pastor for over 37 years, one of the sad truths is that many people 
don't get an answer to the question of who they are when they're a teenager. And they bring it into adulthood. And I see a lot of broken relationships and broken marriages and broken lives because people are still struggling, even into adulthood, with trying to figure out, who am I? And what should I be doing about it? There's an example in the Bible that's particularly instructive at this point. It's the example of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Now, just to give you a little context, Jonathan is the king of Israel's son. And Jonathan is trying to figure out who he is. He thinks he's probably going to be the next king, right? He's the king's son. And he has a friend named David who's also in the palace. And David is a conqueror. Remember David and Goliath? He used to lead the military and stuff like that. He, he was an instrumentalist and he played music for the king. And the king became very jealous of him. But David became very close friends with the king's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan realized, this is the guy that's going to be the next king, not me. And in this book of 1 Samuel, where Samuel the prophet writes out in the history, it shows this bond between these two teenage boys and how it developed and eventually led to David being the king, even though Jonathan, Jonathan's dad Saul was literally trying to kill David. He was jealous of him. Let me read to you a little of the context because it'll help us get, get, get clued into what's going on here. Ready? 1 Samuel chapter 18. In fact, why don't we turn the house lights up so people can read in their Bibles. 1 Samuel 18, starting with verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant. Notice that. We'll come back to that in a minute. With David. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his royal robe, is what he did, that was on him, and gave it to David. What he's trying to symbolize is, Dave, I know you're going to be the next king, not me. And And his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt... One more passage I want to show you about the friendship between these two guys. We don't have time to preach a whole sermon about it, but turn with me to chapter 23. If you've got your Bibles, look at verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. So David realizes Saul's out to get him, you know, the king. David was in the wilderness of Ziph and, and at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in the Lord. That's an interesting way of looking at it and tells us something. I'll tell you in a minute. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Do you understand what's going on here? Here's two young men trying to figure out who they are. And it becomes significantly clear to both of them, you know, Dave's going to be the next king, not me that I'm in line to be the next king. It's supposed to be David. Because what did they believe? Do you catch it here? They believed. They were only part of the big story. God's story. This is significant. This is what I mean about a relationship with God. When you finally come to the reality, your life's not about your story. You're only part of a bigger story. God's story. And David and Jonathan had so much excitement and energy and growth in their life because they both connected to the truth. I'm only part of his story. And his story says, Dave's going to be the next king, not John. 
And so they, they, they became bonded together, even made a covenant. We'll, we'll come back to that later. But a covenant means a promise, a commitment, not just to each other, but to the Lord. I tried to take these two questions apart just for a minute with you. And, and the first question I took apart, I put it in my outline like this. Your relationship with God shows you who you are. That's where it all begins because you're part of a bigger story. You know, when kids are in the ages of teen years, uh, they're trying to figure out, like I said, who they are. And it's kind of like a philosophical question. The reason is, in fact, there's a Greek word in the New Testament, teleos, which is all about purpose. We're purpose-driven beings. You are different than all the animals. They can think about eating, and they can think about sleeping, and they can think about cohabitating, and that's about it. Uh, they don't think much more than that. They don't have to have a meaning and a purpose in their life, but we are created in the image of God, and we need a purpose. So a kid starts to realize he needs to know who he is philosophically. They would never think of it that you use that term, but that's really what they're trying to figure out. What's my meaning? What's my purpose? Who am I? But kids also start to think about, well, who am I practically? In other words, who am I to you? Am I cool? Am I not cool? Am I in? Am I out? Am I right? Am I wrong? Am, you know, am I this or am I that? And then relationships start to develop, develop even between the opposite sex, and they're still trying to figure out, well, who am I practically? Which means, who am I to you? And those relationships start forming that inside them. Jonathan and David in this passage are understanding who they are by beginning a covenant, a relationship, a commitment to the Lord. And we at our church believe the same thing needs to happen. And the kids in this church, and you know, there's like in the age, this age group I'm talking about, there's like 300 kids in this church. They, we want them to get these bearings under them, like Jonathan and David had. Do you understand? I, I'm, I'm here to be part of God's story. Not just ask him, bless my story. And when I connect with that, it's when things start coming together. I begin to understand all the relationships of my life. Crucial. You know, this might be the most important stage in someone's development. And like I said, the sad truth is some people never really get it. Because at this stage, they had so much missing. You know... When I was studying this, I was thinking about my teen years. You know, I, I, I went to a school system where they had junior high instead of middle school. So we went all the way up through sixth grade, and then junior high started at seventh, eighth, and ninth, and high school was only 10, 11, and 12. So I remember in seventh grade, I'm coming out of elementary school, and I go to seventh grade, a whole different school, junior high school. And man, within the first few weeks, first few days even, I was struck with this thought, like I'd never really thought about this much in elementary school. You know, there's cool kids, and then there's not cool kids. I'm laying in bed, literally thinking, I want to be a cool kid. And so I was deciding, you know, I'm going to have to start to use some different words, like some curses and some cussing and stuff, because the cool kids do that. I'm going to probably have to pick up smoking, because they smoke, and I'm probably going to, you know, start partying and, you know, and talking about girls, and I mean, like they do. Like, I was deciding this. It was one of the worst decisions I ever made. But why did I make it? I was struggling, trying to figure out, who am I? And I'm deciding a wrong direction. We deal with kids like that in the church. We want to help them go the right direction. Oh, God, I wish I'd had a youth group to help me. Then I remember when I'm 17 or 18 years old, I'm out of high school, 
And you, you know, you've heard the story. When I come home one night and I just decide, okay, I, I, I'm sick of this. I want to be a Christian. So I put my elbows on my bed, folded my hands, asked Jesus to come into my heart and be my Savior. I really didn't even understand what that means. But boom, everything changed. Now all of a sudden, I was part of not just my story, but his story, and realizing that's the significant part of my life. I had a relationship with God, and that changed all my relationships. Yeah, literally. All my old friends just kind of left me, and I had all new friends. In fact, they were so much deeper, so much more meaningful. I finally had a purpose for living, something bigger than just having fun and just trying to be me. It was like, God, I'm here for God. I'm here. It changed everything. See, that's what we want to see happen in kids' lives. That's what's supposed to happen because we're here for him. It's all part of the big story. Secondly, when you discover that, then you, you know what you're supposed to do. Or at least you can get a path to go the right direction of what you're supposed to do. Because if I know who I am, then I can get a better idea of what I'm supposed to do about it. And if you notice in the story we read, it uses this word covenant. A couple of times we read the word covenant, which I said earlier is like a, a promise. A covenant is like a contract that you're making. And these boys made it, not Jonathan and David, not just with God, but even with each other. A significant point. They understood, like I said earlier, um, that they're part of a big story. You know, it's almost like they understood Romans 8.28. Even though it hadn't been written yet, it would be written hundreds of years later. Let's put it on the screen. Romans 8.28 reads like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Did you catch that? When you realize God loves you and you have a bigger purpose than just your own existence, all of a sudden things start working out. It's almost like David and Jonathan understood that. We want kids in our youth groups to understand that. Their bonding to one another and bonding to the Lord changes everything. And what's one of the big things you hit when you're in those teen years? You begin to understand what it means to be a sexual being, right? You're 11, 12, you're finally starting to understand. Then the hormones get raging. Now you're understanding, not only do Jonathan and David have to feel, deal with the moral decisions, well, what do we do about dad? Do we lie? Do we cheat? Do we steal? Do we try and kill him? Those are moral decisions. Or do we love him or be kind to him, you know, obey him because he's our authority? Those are moral decisions. They also had to deal with sexual decisions. Just like the teens today do. Dealing with the authorities at school and the authorities at home. Dealing with mom and dad and dealing with other people. Then dealing with sexual issues. Man, it's a, it's, it's, it's a quagmire. It's a, it's a tough, messy time. They need guidance. They need help. Recently, I was, I've been rereading a book, one of my favorite books of all time, called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He talks about morality in here. Listen to what he says. There's a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. He replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who is always snooping around to see if anyone is really enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. <laughs> and I'm afraid that's the sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's minds. Something that interferes, something that stops you having a good time. In reality, moral rules, moral laws invented by God are directions for running the human machine. 
Every moral law, every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or friction in running the human machine. That's why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When when you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps saying to you, no, 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 don't, don't do it like that. Because, of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you to be the natural way of doing it or treating the machine. But in the end, they won't work. And isn't that exactly what we're trying to tell our our sons and our daughters? Like, no, no, don't do that. It's not going to work. We're trying to teach them about the human machine and how it works. Well, I'm thankful that in this church, we have some young youth pastors, many people, literally, I don't know, over 100 people in our church committed to working with teenagers to try and help them get answers to the questions of who they are and what they're going to do about it based from God's point of view. And I'm going to ask three of these young youth pastors to come out right now and share with you uh, about that ministry. Eric Jarvis is the leader of the pack here. And these guys are going to sit down and tell you some things about it. And I I would definitely love to pray with you about this, so I'm going to do that. I get to come back at the end and pray about this whole ministry. So, Eric, I'm going to turn it over to you. Take it away. Thanks, Marty. You bet. God bless. All right, so we want to explain to you a little bit about youth culture today. And one of the things that we want to do is really explain the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is how youth culture functions today, how they communicate. So what I'd like everybody to do is take your cell phone out. This is a time in church when you're allowed to use your cell phone. And uh, what we'd like you to do this morning is uh, we want you to take a selfie. That's just basically taking a picture of yourself, for those of you who don't know. So we're all going to take selfies. Everybody in here can do the same thing. All right, Russ, you got your selfie over there? Yeah, I got it. All right, so now we'd like you to put some kind of maybe caption with that selfie. Uh, Russ, what would be a good caption? Something about youth probably would make sense. All right, that's all right. That's not great. Good. Uh, Typically, I ask, uh, what's for lunch? That's usually uh, okay. all that I text. All right, it's 11 o'clock service. We put a church that's, that's fair. Sitting next to my church homies. That works. Say, what's up, snitches? What's you up, snitches? Like uh, there. I wouldn't recommend what's that. Kind of creative caption. Now, I want you to take that selfie that you just took, and I don't want you to send that to California or anything like that. Just send it to the person next to you. Who's ever sitting next to you, if you do that, people are blowing up my phone now. I'm not sitting next to you. I'm up here. <laughs> That is how the youth communicate today. They, they, now people are calling me. All right, I've got to shut this off. <laughs> it's Pastor Don's doing that to me on purpose. <laughs> that is how youth culture, that's how they communicate today. Like, they could be right next to each other, but they'll send each other pictures about what they're doing. And so congratulations. Now you all know how they communicate, so probably all the youth will find a new way to communicate now because the parents know. <laughs> So, as Marty said, um, we're the youth pastors here. We are the three youth pastors on staff. My name is Eric Jarvis. This is Pastor Russ Batten and Pastor Eddie Jaramus, and we make up the youth team. I would be considered the uh, senior youth pastor. I appreciate Marty saying that three young guys were coming out, so essentially two young guys and one older guy coming out. Um, But we make up the youth team here at FAC. And um, one of the things that we really wanted you guys to know that we thought was important is that all of us are products of the FAC youth ministry. I was a a, uh, student back in the 80s with our first youth pastor, Ed Laramore. These guys came through in uh, later years 
on all these years, but these guys came through, and we all have come through the youth ministry. So when the opportunity came up for us to be on staff and really work with the next generation of students, it was a no-brainer. We absolutely love working with the kids. We love the kids at this church. Uh, We have arguments in our staff meetings about what's the best way to reach them uh, and uh, reach them for the Lord. And we all have the same passion, and the same passion is to help students have a relationship and grow in their faith. So one of the things that we really are passionate about, we realize, is that students need that anchor point. And the anchor point is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So a lot of things that we do in the youth department are to help kids be anchored in their faith. Because the truth is, your family can go bad, your school can go bad, your relationships can go bad, your job can go bad. All these things can happen in life. But if you're anchored in Christ... If you have that relationship with God, you always have something to lean on. You always have the right thing to go back to. So what we do in the youth ministries, we have three youth groups that we're going to talk to you about in a minute. Um, But what we do as a team is we team teach. I'll teach with the younger kids. Sometimes I'll teach with the older kids. Sometimes Russ will. Sometimes Eddie will. And the reason that we do that is because we realize some students connect better uh, with some of us than others. So we share the responsibility. Um, We all have different gifts and we all have different things that we do a little better than one another. So what we try to do is we work in that team model approach, which seems to work very well. I also don't want to forget when I mention our team, uh, Pat Vickery, who's not up here with us. She's our office assistant, and we could not function in youth ministry without Pat. Pat. Pat's amazing with all the stuff that she does. So what we do with our whole, uh, Marty talked a lot about building relationships, which is what we're about. And if you read the church's mission statement, we want people to connect to God, connect to God's people, and connect to God's work. And the model that we use in youth ministry is win, build, equip. We want to win kids for Christ. We want to equip them by the discipleship process. uh, or We want to build them, and then we want to equip them for ministry. So it's basically the same thing. We're trying to have kids uh, come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want to disciple them in the process and then empower them to go out and actually do ministry on their own. And for us, this is a big passion of ours, and and, um, this is why we do what we do. So first, I'd like to start with Pastor Russ Batten. uh, Russ works with our grapple program, which also works kind of in conjunction with the services here. He works with Level 5 and some of the middle school students. So Russ, tell us a little bit about grapple. Grapple and level five in the relationships we're trying to build there. Yeah, so first, our grapple students are in the back right there. Shout out to Shout grapple. Out grapple kids right, right back guys. there. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. They're taking selfies. <laughs> um, so our grapple program runs Sunday mornings. We don't run the whole year. We run from September to May, and we want this to be a transition time. They've come from Sunday school. That's every single week of the year. Now it's Instead of just plopping them into the service, we want to take some time and prepare them for the service. So we want to build a relationship with them, with the church. That's what the relationship's focused on, is the church. Because this isn't just my church, this isn't your church, it's also their church, the students' church. There's so many times when students have left our ministry and they've come back and they're like, yeah, that was mom and dad's church, that wasn't mine, and I didn't feel connected at all. And we really want these students to feel connected to this church, like it's their church and they own it. So, Russ, talk about that. Um, In Grapple, we're definitely doing that because, like Russ said, we want to work on that relationship with the church body so that they feel that this is part of their church. What are the key relationships when you think about the fifth grade youth group? We have some younger students in there. What are the key relationships that we're trying to work on with fifth graders? So one of the big key relationships is the relationship with Jesus Christ, that salvation. Uh, 
during this time, that time period, it's when they're probably going to make that decision to follow Christ or not, whether it's going to be their parents' faith or it's going to be their faith. And we want to be right there alongside of them, helping them make that decision and understand that. Um, and then the other relationship we work on is with our, our leaders and our students in small groups. I know when I was in sixth grade, I had this leader. His name was Kevin. He was a little odd, um, but he was the coolest guy to hang out with, hang out with I thought. He like, would do push-ups after every small group, and that's how we knew small group was over. He'd do 100 push-ups, and for some reason we thought it was really cool. <laughs> and we'd watch him, and we're like, sweet, small group's over. But I totally felt connected with him. I felt like I had a relationship, and I could come each week and hang out with him. And because of that, I was excited to come to youth group. So, Russ, also besides uh, fifth grade and building the relationships there, you have had an opportunity to work with some of our older students and the high school students. A lot of our high school students served in the younger ministries, which we're very thankful for. Russ got to lead the Ecuador missions trip last year with the high school students. And incidentally, Russ is also leading this year's missions trip to Ecuador this summer as well. So he's gotten to do this. uh, This will be the second year. Russ, talk about a little bit of your experience with the high school students, especially in regards to that missions trip and the relationships uh, that were formed there, but also how you pushed them spiritually on that trip. First off, they're currently meeting right now as the first time as a team. Um, so you guys can just be praying for them as they prepare for this team. We just don't send them out in July and be like, hey, good luck in Ecuador. Um, we want to build those relationships and, and build a team aspect as they meet throughout the year from now until July when we leave. Um, but the coolest thing we saw last year with these students is we challenged them in the morning and at night to lead a, a devotional with their peers. And everyone we challenged just stood up and like, yeah, I can do that. That's super easy. I can open the Bible, and I can read a couple verses, and then I can explain what this means and what God's teaching me. And it was awesome to see them leading their peers, and those relationships grew because of that. So... Um you guys, that was a big thing that you were able to do with the high school students last year. It was a big growth opportunity for them because they were actually pushed to give devotions to their peers. It let them, that whole equip thing, like equip to share your faith, was really starting to come out. And I want to transition over to Pastor Eddie because Pastor Eddie uh, works with middle school. He works with some of the upper ages in middle school and also with high school. So Eddie, talk about a, a little bit about the relationships in high school and how they may differ from where we're trying to take the kids in middle school. Yeah, Eric, absolutely. Our our relationships, and you guys know this from being in middle school yourselves and then into high school, relationships change, relationships develop over time. And with some of the younger students, well, actually all the students, our first and primary focus is to make sure our students has a relationship or have a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. That's the first and foremost thing that we try and instill in the students. And then from there we, we work on, Russ was talking about, you know, with the younger students, we work on relationships with their parents, with their peers and other students. And then as they get older, it's more towards a relationship with authorities. And then, you know, into high school, dating relationships always come up. And so those are the types of relationships that that we work with and we try and work with the students on. One of the things we try to do with the students to make sure we're hitting the mark is ask them if we're hitting the mark. So last year, we actually got together with a group of the high school students, and Eddie got together with them, and share a little bit about that. Like, when you met with those high school students, what was something that they told you 
our, our students, they wanted to take more ownership in things, and they also wanted to dig deeper into the Word of God. So we've been working on our curriculum and developing that to make it more of an in-depth Bible study, not a topical study for our high school students. And we've also been able to give them the reins on uh, some things, service projects especially. We've been able to partner with the seniors ministry here at church, and they've done other service projects as well. So our high school students, when we sit down and talk to them, they're actually asking us to push them harder. They said, we want to learn more. We want to go deeper into the scripture. We want to be challenged to do more things. It was a great wake-up call for all of us as youth pastors to say, okay, we need to go a little little further than we have been going as a youth ministry. So um, in regards to that, when we see students get to that age or get to that place where they're actually able to go out and serve others or have their wearing their faith on their sleeve, so to speak, and talking to their peers, what are some, like Russ, what's the story that you could think of where we saw that in a high school student or we saw that in a student? Last year, one of our seniors who's now graduated, he, he was on the RV track team, and he loved youth group. He, he loved the Lord, and he thought it was important for the rest of his track team to know who the Lord was. So we had half of our RV track team running around our youth group, uh, playing basketball, hanging out, and whether they were there just to play, play games or be with their friends, they, they were hearing God's word. And the guy who invited his whole team out was like, yeah, that's what I want them to hear. And he was encouraged by that, and he was challenged by it, and he's like, I'm going to do that. We, we had no part in that. Um, but he felt like he needed to do that, to share the love of God with these other students. All because one student decided he wanted to make a difference. And we had half the RV track team here. Eddie, what's a story you could think of? Uh, same thing, like where we saw students sharing their faith that was meaningful maybe in the past couple of years. Yeah, um, well, for me personally, when I, I moved from Wisconsin to New Jersey my eighth grade year, and I didn't know anybody, and then I moved to Shawnee, or I moved to Medford and went to Shawnee my freshman year, didn't know a single person, and um, there were four seniors that really took me under their wing, and they, they started building a relationship with me, and not only did I see them every day at lunch, because um, they would let me sit at their lunch table, but I would see them at youth group as well. I, I didn't, don't want to mention that they were senior girls, but um, they, it was... <laughs> That, that was something that really um, impacted me, and that's what we're trying to get our students to the point of, where they're actually reaching out to students um, in their schools. So um, as we wrap up this, this portion of it, the one thing, you know, for the three of us as we're up here together that we really want to communicate to you today, you know, a lot of times people look at youth ministry and they say, oh, these guys are playing night games or they're taking kids to the baseball game or something. We want you to understand there's a strategy behind what we're doing. And the strategy is it's all about relationships. It's about us building relationships with them, us getting to spend time with the kids so that we can speak into their lives and getting that relationship in Christ uh, to be a solid foundation. The three of us up here, we love your students. We love working in youth ministry. If you don't hear anything else today, that's the message that we really want communicated is how much we love your students and how much we're trying to help them uh, grow in their faith and be discipled and then be able to share their faith faith with others. So Eddie and Russ are going to head back. You're going to be able to see them out in the atrium afterwards. I'd like to thank these guys for being out here today.
If you have any questions for them, you can certainly talk to them afterwards. If you have your bulletins, just open them up real quick. We're just going to go through a few things. The idea that's in there, it says, people are developed through relationships. And the big thing that we wanted to really push today, even with what Marty said and with what we just said, is how God develops us is through relationships with other people. Through relationships with Him, of course, through our relationship by studying Scripture, but through other Christian believers that help us grow in our faith. And it's a model that we see in Scripture. It's how Jesus called His disciples. If you have your Bibles, take a look at Luke 5, 9 through 11. And in this passage, this is where Jesus calls these disciples. He calls them out of the the fishing, or He tells them to throw their nets on the other side. And uh, we'll pick it up from verse 9 where it says, For He and all who were with Him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And also were James, John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Point number one says Jesus developed disciples by calling them to follow him. He called them into action. When you read the story, the line that really sticks out to me is where Jesus, or the, the Bible says, they left everything. Jesus called them and they left everything and followed him. When we think about this relationship with Christ and what we're trying to do in youth ministry, we're really trying to call kids out of, listen, all this other stuff, you can leave it behind. The anchor point that we want you to have is your anchor point knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you can be secure in Him. I was reading this book by Andy Stanley called Visioneering, and there was a a section that jumped out to me. And it talks about dreamers and visionaries. It says, The difference between a dreamer and a visionary. Dreamers dream about things being different. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Dreamers think about how nice it would be for something to be done. But visionaries look for an opportunity and do something. That is our heartbeat in youth ministry. We are looking for opportunities. We want to be visionaries who look for opportunities and do something. We don't want to dream about changing youth culture or changing these kids' lives. We want to actually get out there and do it. That's what we're about in youth ministry. I remember a few years ago, we had our summer escape retreat with the middle school kids, and um, we had some kids who really they grasped this. They caught on to this concept. We're sitting around the campfire on the last night, and these eighth graders, they said, does anybody want to share anything? And a couple eighth graders raised their hands, and they said, yeah, we want to share. And they said, listen, when I came into middle school, you know, way back when, a whole year and a half ago, I used to think I had to be really cool. But now what I learned is God doesn't care if I'm cool. He just cares if I'm going to follow him. So for you sixth graders that are trying to be cool right now or trying to be popular, trying to fit in, don't worry about that. Just worry about following God. Wow, what a powerful testimony from an eighth grader to say something like that to his peers. We're called to follow Christ. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. We need to call our students to follow him too. Point number two in your outline reads, Jesus developed his disciples by spending time with them. Take a look at Luke 6, 12 through 13. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named the apostles. You know, there's two things in this. One, Jesus really models an example of his relationship with the Father, where he spends all night praying. And he calls his disciples to follow him. He takes them along for the journey. 
He helps disciple them. He helps them step by step. He models for them how to pray. How much do we need to do this for our students, for our kids? Model what a godly life looks like. That's what Jesus did in this passage. Uh, We mentioned before, you know, I was one of the first kids in the youth group here. There was about five kids in the youth group when I came here back in the 80s. And uh, we had a youth pastor named Ed Laramore. And Ed was great because he spent a lot of time with us. Now, we can't really do that today because we have 120 kids in each youth group. So, Russ, Eddie, and I, we do our best, but we can't get to everybody. We, We rely very heavily on our volunteer youth leaders to do that with us. But back then, Ed spent a lot of time with us. And I'll never forget, Ed used to, man, he used to take me to baseball games and hang out with me. And Ed used to call me to come over his house all the time and hang out with him. And I thought, man, Ed's, Ed's just so great. And I remember when I got a job at a Christian camp working as a counselor, Ed used to call up that camp and say, hey, I need to talk to Eric. Tell him to call me back. And I would call him back and he'd say, hey, I know the food's terrible at camps. What do you want? I'll bring you a cheesesteak. I'll bring you a hoagie. I'll bring you anything you want. Because Ed wanted me to stay there. He, he knew that I was out serving God. He knew that I was out putting my faith into action. Ed wanted me to stay there, and he would do anything to support me, even driving a cheesesteak all the way down to this camp so that I would be you know, happy and encouraged and energized to keep doing my job. Ed also used to invite me to his house all the time. Now, I'll never forget, one day Ed was up here doing a sermon, and while he's preaching, Ed says, yeah, you know, back when Nixie and I, that's his wife, were dating, I used to have a youth group kid come over the house all the time, you know, just to make sure purity was in place and everything like that. And I'm like, that was me. Ed's using me as a purity device back when I was in high school. I thought he wanted to hang out with me. (laughs) And he did. But it's just funny to hear that later. And I will tell you, without Ed, I don't know if I'm here today. I mean, he had that big of an impact on me. That's the kind of impact that we can have on this next generation. Point number three in your outline says, Jesus developed his disciples by empowering them. Luke 9, 1 through 2 says, He called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over demons to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus not only called them, he discipled them, and then he empowered them to do the work. So important for us when we think about our students to empower them to actually be able to do the work. Myself and Eddie and another guy, uh, Corey Fisher, we, one of the side things that we do since we have Camp FAC is we are all lifeguard instructors and we train lifeguards. And most of the time the lifeguards are all high school students. And it takes about 25 hours to train a lifeguard. They have to be trained in CPR and first aid and maneuvers to pull people out of the water and, and all this kind of stuff. And I don't forget a couple years ago we had a class and they kept freezing up on this one rescue. They, they would all look at each other and they didn't know what to do. And it was the last day of class. Like, they need to know this stuff. And I don't forget one of the guys said, everybody stop for a minute. I want you to listen to me. By the end of class today, you guys are going to be certified. And tomorrow, you could be on duty and responsible for all these people. And you will not have us as the instructors looking over your shoulder, correcting you and yelling at you. You have to take responsibility to be the leader when you get on duty. And I remember the class at that point, it kind of shifted because they got it. Like, this is serious. I'm going to be in charge of all this tomorrow. When I think about that, and I think about what we're trying to do in student ministries and youth ministries, catch the meaning. We're training the lifeguards of tomorrow. And someday, they're going to be the ones who are responsible for leading the kids in the next generation. 
they're the ones who are going to have to step up. And they're not going to have us over their shoulders pointing out all the things that they're not doing right or correcting them. They're going to need to do it on their own. How important is it for us right now to disciple these kids, get them going in the right track, and empower them to do the ministry on their own? I read that Andy Stanley quote in the beginning, and I just want to leave you with this thought. We can dream about how great it would be for all these kids to follow Christ, or we can be visionaries who step up and get involved and actually do it. For the youth department here, we want to be visionaries. We want, we want to be the ones who step up and do something for the kingdom. Thank you very much. Stay up here with me. All right. I don't know if you realize how significant this ministry is in the stages of development. I've been a pastor for 37 years, almost 38 now. And I've only done three funerals for people who committed suicide. All three of them were men in their 40s and 50s. And all three of them had never got solid about who they were and what they're here for. I'm telling you, when I say they're rattling around their head, who am I? That's a very significant question. When you don't get the answer or you get the wrong answer, you're in serious trouble. And we're trying to help these kids who are headed for serious trouble. Help them get on the right track. And it's worked so many times, even for this kid, back in youth group. So we need to dedicate ourselves to this in prayer, dedicate ourselves to this in ministry, and pray for these guys and all the multitude of volunteers they have helping here. This is significant. And so what I'd like to have you do is stand with me now and let's pray. Let's, let's like dedicate this ministry to the Lord. Would you help me do that? Here's what I want you to do. Hold your hand out like you're on, on his shoulders. He's on the boy's shoulders. And then they're going to be in the foyer to talk with you. But let's pray. Dear God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we're asking. We're asking that your Holy Spirit would fill these young men and all their volunteers to be able to train these teenagers in our church. So many of them, literally hundreds of them now, that we can develop and we can train. And Lord, we're committed to developing ourselves and developing others. These are the ones we really need to key in on. And they're dealing with moral choices and they're dealing with choices about what's right and wrong and dealing with choices about what they're going to do in life, all based about who they are and what they're going to do about it. Would you give Eric wisdom and, and Russ wisdom and Eddie wisdom? Please, wisdom from you. You said if we asked for wisdom, you'd give it in the book of James. And so I'm asking, you would give it to them. And help each one of us, Lord, be highly supportive. Helping our kids get there. Helping maybe joining the ministry. Whatever it takes, but constantly praying and giving our kids into the hands of God. Because, Lord, we're here to be part of your story. Not just you touching into our story. So I pray in Jesus' name that this ministry be used of you in literally hundreds and hundreds of kids' lives from this day forward. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.